Hello everyone, this is Paytech Talk episode 58. I'm Alireza, I'm your host today. And for those of you who are listening for the first time to Paytech Talk, let me give you a brief intro into what we are, what we are doing. Paytech Talk and Paytech Law is the blog and the podcast of our law firm Enerton. We are a German law firm focusing on regulatory advice. And mainly our clients are regulated entities such as banks, but also fintechs. And one of our focus is also the regulation of crypto assets in Germany and within the EU. And today I'm very happy to welcome our guest, Nathan. Uh, I'm very happy to have Nathan today with us since I know Nathan for a long time already. I had the pleasure working with him together in 2017 um, on the first ICOs in, in the EU, where Nathan and myself were uh, still working at uh, PwC, me, myself in Germany, Frankfurt, and Nathan in Gibraltar. And then I believe, Nathan, you moved to the uh, Gibraltar Supervisory Authority, where they have established at that time the first uh, um, yeah, uh, team for, uh, for looking at uh, crypto regulation, which was becoming very strong at that time in Gibraltar. But I believe, uh, Nathan, it would be the best if you yourself, you just briefly introduce yourself and also your, your family working now, XREC Consulting. So please, Nathan. Great. Thanks. Uh, first, thanks a lot, Ali Reza, for, for having me here. Um, on, on this podcast, as as you mentioned, we, we do go way back, um, back to the, the early ICO days. Um, myself working at PwC Gibraltar and, and yourself uh, in, in, in a German firm. Um, definitely interesting times and a lot has developed and, and changed since then. Um, in, in terms of myself, I started my career at, at PwC. It started straight out of university. Um, I originally trained as an accountant uh, and I was doing a lot of audit work at the time, uh, dealing with mainly financial services companies. Um, Gibraltar is quite, quite big on financial services, but also on, on tech in, in the sense of there was a lot of online gaming uh, activity in Gibraltar, which is actually another very interesting uh, regulatory uh, topic to discuss, but we'll leave that for, for another time. Um, because I was so interested in, in both, in, in financial services and also tech, uh, I quickly got very interested in, in crypto and blockchain, uh, not only professionally, uh, but also personally. So I got quite interested in, in the technology and the benefits it could bring to, to society in general. Um, round about that time, there was a lot of activity, um, especially in Gibraltar on the ICO side, um, which, is, which is where we met and we started working together. Um, but I found that PwC, the... And, and as you find with most big institutions, it, it takes a while for, for them to, to get fully comfortable with, with crypto and, this, and these new activities um, from a risk perspective more, more so. Um, so I thought it would be interesting and, and I was extremely interested in getting more involved in, in the regulatory side, um, which is what brought me to work for the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission. So um, soon after the, the ICO uh, boom came and went, um the framework in Gibraltar was was more or less uh, launching by then um so on the 1st of January 18 <clears throat> Gibraltar brought in this pioneering framework uh, as you mentioned uh, Ali Reza which uh, effectively bring brought into scope uh, service providers uh, that were storing or transmitting value using distributed ledger technology um so what it did was it brought into scope 
uh, it brought under under the regulatory remit uh, these providers that in the past were were completely unregulated and, and you're talking about mainly the centralized uh, types of service providers such as crypto exchanges custodian wallet providers um, a few more more interesting ones but effectively if you are responsible for someone else's value and you're utilizing the DLT to, to do so and um, you were brought under this this regime and I was part of that team which were involved in actually initially processing the the license applications uh, for these companies and then eventually actually supervising them which was for me probably one of the more interesting things I've ever done um, it was a new industry it was very exciting um, and it was interesting to see how some of the I guess the companies that were used to operating in what was then the Wild West um, were coming under under regulatory frameworks um, so you can imagine there were a lot of interesting conversations um, a lot of learning from from both sides uh, from both ourselves working at the regulator and as well the the companies that we were we were licensing and, and then regulating uh, but overall it was it was a big success and Gibraltar right now has about 15 or so uh, licensed players in, in the industry some of which are, are coming from some of the big names uh, some well-known names in the crypto industry such as Huobi for example um, but then some of the more traditional financial services businesses, um, some of the fintech companies like eToro who were operating as fintechs, but then started getting closer and closer to, to crypto. Um, so yeah, that was that was very interesting time for, for us in Gibraltar as a jurisdiction, but myself as well working in the in the middle of all the, the action. Um, soon after that, the they decided to scope in as well the the act of issuing um assets um so they they, they scoped in the, the the issuance of of crypto assets into the aml framework as well um just to make sure that was covered uh, from a from a risk perspective um so there's a lot of interesting things happening during during those times uh, i had the pleasure of of meeting sean jones um working at the commission <clears throat> Sean Jones was a was an expert, and she was brought in by the Gibraltar government originally to basically architect the the entire regime. Um, initially, she was working for the Gibraltar government as a, as an expert on DLT, um, but then eventually she also made became part of the of the regulatory team working at the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission. Um, towards the end of our time at the at the regulator, we, we always thought it would be interesting. And we thought we could add a lot of value by sharing really the experiences that we had developed and the knowledge we gained by, by working for, for a regulator that was actually um, licensing and, 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 and supervising uh, crypto companies. So we formed XREG towards the end of 19. Um, I joined the team in, in January of this year. Um, and as XREG, really what we do is we provide regulatory advice um, not only to the private sector um, where we do a, a lot of work right now with companies who are either working in the crypto space uh, currently uh, and need advice in terms of how to navigate crypto regulation and um, how they can implement uh, their, their own policies procedures and, and controls um, we look at we, we work with companies that are looking to enter the crypto space as well um, but a big part of our focus is on public sector work 
Um, and as we'll probably discuss um, later on this podcast, there's been a, a huge shift globally for jurisdictions really to have to start implementing um, regulatory frameworks for, for crypto assets. Um, and that's where we can add a lot of value because we were part of the team that's, that really established um, the, the first or at least one of the first regulatory regimes for, for crypto assets globally. Um, so we are doing some interesting work. Um, working on some big projects with uh, countries, some large con- a large country, particularly in the Middle East right now, on a AML CFT risk assessment um, for virtual assets and virtual asset service providers, um, which which is, which again has been extremely interesting and and a, and a great project to to be involved in. Um, but but there is a big shift now, and there is a, a need for for jurisdictions to really start gearing up uh, and start implementing solid regulatory frameworks. Um, a lot of action in the EU as well, which which we'll cover, which we'll cover uh, later. Uh, definitely a lot of a lot of learning to to be done, but very interesting times for the industry in, in general. Great, uh, thank you, Nathan. Thank you for the for the introduction. And man, as, as, as I understand from from XREC Consulting, you're you're very you're very familiar with the FATF recommendations, the FATF guidance. You advise a lot on that. Um, Sean is, 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 is probably the, the expert in the EU when it comes to the so-called travel rule. Um, and, and looking at today's agenda, I, I would like to talk to you um, about what is happening right now in respect to regulation of crypto assets or virtual assets. Um, and I would like to focus today a little bit more on AML and CFT. So what the FATF is giving as recommendations or guidance when it comes to virtual assets. And, and <clears throat> at the end, a little bit looking at what else is happening within the European Union, within the European economic area. Uh, in, uh, when we look at ESMA, EBA and the European Commission. But looking at the FATF, uh, I would like to focus today more on the FATF because the FATF was actually the first international or the global body which was actually talking about virtual currencies back in 2014 already when it had its virtual currencies key definitions and potential AML and CFT risks publication. It was continuing actually on a regular basis on 2015. It gave it guidance on risk-based approach to virtual currencies. In 2019, it's public statement on virtual assets and virtual asset service providers. It was going on with the uh, guidance for risk-based approach um, and virtual assets and virtual service providers in 2020 and its latest guidance um, and recommendations on virtual assets in 2020 again. So um, looking at FATF, uh, Nathan, uh, and looking what what recommendations they give, uh, two things I think are important to to, to, to make sure when we talk about it. The FATF is, is not a, a, a regulatory body. It gives recommendations and guidance. Maybe you can explain a little bit on that and also explain why the FATF was talking about virtual currencies and then about virtual assets. At, uh, and, and, and other institutions within the EU would talk about crypto assets. So, so what is it about? Yeah, so I, I guess the for me, it's still a bit of a mystery why the the taxonomy in this space is so so varied um i don't think it does anyone any favors calling these assets virtual assets virtual currencies crypto assets cryptocurrencies and um all these different names um when effectively what we're trying at least 
um, to, to talk about the same, this, this new emerging class of assets. Um, but I think going back to the FATF, uh, for those that don't know, the, the FATF is a, is a large intergovernmental body. Um, and as you, you mentioned, what they do is they set standards for global standards for anti-money laundering and terrorist financing. And, 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 and recently as well, they, 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 they mentioned pro proliferation financing a lot as well. Um, so, so in theory now we need, to, we need to talk about the three of them, but normally people just say AML and CFT um, standards, anti-money laundering, terrorist financing. Um, but the, the FATF is, is, is this large body made up of, of all the, the key nations in the world. Um, and they set standards on, on anti-money laundering and terrorist financing. And, and it's, as you say, Ali Reza, they set standards, they, they, they call them recommendations, the FATF recommendations. Uh, and these are key recommendations, not on, on industry players like crypto exchanges, um, but they're recommend, recommendations on, on what jurisdictions need to do. Um, so, so they're basically mandating jurisdictions to establish regimes uh, to, to address risks uh, emerging from anti-money laundering and terrorist financing. Um, we like to say they're, they're recommendations with consequences. Um, so even though they are FATF recommendations and standards, um, you can come under serious consequences if you do not uh, follow these recommendations. Um, so when you hear about these global blacklists and gray lists, uh, most of the times they're, I mean, you've got different types of blacklists and gray lists uh, for tax perspective, perspectives, for example, as well. Um, but from an anti-money laundering and terrorist financing perspective, you can be blacklisted or gray listed if you do not, as, as a nation, as a jurisdiction, comply with these FATF recommendations. Um, so yeah, back in 2014, um, and for, for a long time now, because back in 2014, the, the, I guess the, the industry was nowhere near as mature as it is now, even though there's still a, some way to go to be a, a fully established um, industry. Um, but the FATF has always had, um, for a long time now, crypto assets, virtual currencies, or, or whatever we decide to call them eventually, uh, on their radar. Um, mainly because back then, a lot of the risks were, were emerging out of the dark web. Um, you, you had the Silk Road round about that time as well. Um, so, so it did come under the, the radar of the FATF. Back in 2014, um, at that time though, they didn't really, even though they highlighted some, some key definitions and risks, they didn't really explicitly state that nations needed to seriously bring in regimes um, to cover these, these assets. Um, but they did uh, define a virtual currency uh, at the time in 2014, um, which they said is a digital representation of value that can be digitally traded and functions as a medium of exchange, a unit of accounts uh, and or store of value. Um, but the key thing is that they've said that they do not have legal tender status in any jurisdiction. Um, they're not issued or guaranteed by any jurisdiction and they only fulfill these functions by agreement within the community of users. So effectively what they're saying is, and, and these three points, uh, interestingly enough, are, are, are key factors that are commonly agreed to, to, to meet the, the criteria of calling something money. Um, so if you have a medium of exchange, a unit of account, store value, those are the key things you need to, to consider something to be money. So in a way they're saying, look, this is something that's, that's like money, 
Um, but it isn't money because it's not legal tender status in any jurisdiction. Um, it's a new emerging type of assets. And there are AML and CFT risks that need to be considered. Other than that, it didn't really push. It didn't say much more. What it, what it did explain was that there's different jurisdictional approaches. Um, certain jurisdictions were um, bringing in regimes to, to cover um, assets, um, these types of assets uh, at the time. The, the US for, for, for quite some time really has, has stated that this type of activity, at least the crypto exchange, type of activity tends to meet their definition of a money transmitter business. So as far as the US is concerned, they, they feel that this is, has always been covered by the legislation anyway. Um, but it, wasn't, it was acknowledged that there, there were gaps at the time. So the, it, this is something that didn't really fit in the traditional regulatory regimes, in, in, at least in most jurisdictions. So that's what happened in 2014. Um, you've got to go forward quite a few years actually um to october 18 was another key date really at fatif level where they clarified that their standards should apply to to virtual assets and virtual asset service providers um interestingly enough here they they decided to to change the name so rather rather than virtual currency they're going to virtual assets um there's actually a, a quite a funny backstory about this um so back in when the when the FATF were were debating the the taxonomy and and how to what to call this new thing in one of their plenaries, uh, Sean Jones was was our senior partner I mentioned earlier. Um, she was there uh, representing the, the the regulator. She was still working at the the regulator in Gibraltar. And apparently there were two camps. There there was a camp that wanted to call them a, a crypto assets. And then there was another camp that wanted to call them virtual currencies, um, and this is this is what she she explained to me. I wasn't I wasn't at that plenary, um, but supposedly there there was a long debate uh, <laughs> that went into the into the hours and and even maybe days uh, in terms of what to call this this new thing, um, and eventually they agreed on virtual asset, which I guess was a, a compromise between both both of those uh, of those terms. Um, so again, I think when you look at the, the taxonomy and what we decide to call it, um, personally, I don't think it makes a major difference. I think we just need to acknowledge that these, these assets are, are, are different to the traditional assets that, we, that we're used to, to interacting with. Um, and they do have a place and, and, and we need to have these, these regimes in place to, to address the risks, but it's difficult to, to really push and and treat these assets similarly as other types of assets, which is why um, these changes to, to regulation are, are happening because they're, they're widening the net to capture these previously unregulated assets. Um, but the fact of what they did was they, 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 they changed the, the term and they started calling them virtual assets. And a virtual asset, what they're saying now, which is the, the definition that they've adopted is a digital representation of value that can be digitally traded or transferred, and it can be used for payment or investment purposes. Um, and what they're saying is that it does not include digital representations of fiat currency securities or any other financial assets that are already covered in the FATF recommendations. Um, it sounds like a similar definition, but the definition of virtual asset is, is actually a lot broader because they're saying it's any digital representation of value that can be traded or transferred. Um, 
used for payment or investment purposes is captured by this by this regime unless it's already captured so it's it's again what they're doing here is they're widening the net and they're saying look these types of digital assets this digital value that can be that can be traded or transferred this needs to be covered now by anti-money laundering and terrorist financing regimes but as with most regulation the 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 asset itself is is difficult to to regulate and especially when you're looking at the more decentralized uh, types of 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 assets such as bitcoin which is the the, the most popular one and the most common one um you can't really regulate something that's actually decentralized and decentralization is a, is another debate um in my opinion there's very few uh, of these assets that are, that are truly decentralized uh, but the ones that are you can't really regulate the the asset you can't regulate the decentralized technology uh, so what do you do as a regulator you you regulate the service providers and that's what the the fatf recommended so what they've said is you don't need to regulate the assets but you need to regulate virtual asset service providers um so the fatf said look all you countries in the world your jurisdictions you need to bring out regulatory regimes that cover at least anti-money financing um, and that cover the virtual asset service providers and asset service providers cover quite a wide range of activities focus mainly on the providers and um, you could argue that some of the decentralized um decentralization another um another top to this um they focus on these trace providers that are doing different types of activities and um they're talking about exchanges between virtual assets and fiat currencies um, they're actually talking about exchanges between virtual assets and other virtual assets which is quite interesting because um some of the earlier uh, regimes and we can talk about amld uh, five um specifically covers fiat to to crypto exchange um and not crypto to crypto and a, lo a lot of the, the the virtual asset service providers and the, the big players uh, some of them don't even touch the the fiat world um, so they could stay unregulated for for even longer um but this even brought the crypto to crypto exchange into scope uh, and they talk about things like transfer safekeeping which covers uh, custodians um and then they have a, the last point, which is an interesting one, which is the participation in and provision of financial services uh, related to an offer and or sale of virtual asset, which, again, that's quite wide. Um, and it's mainly focused on on issuers. So here you're talking about the, the ICOs, so which at least during the end of 17 and early 18, there was a lot of activity in the ICO space. There was a lot of of money um for lack of a better word being raised um and there was very little controls in 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 the way of actually doing due diligence on the participants of these icos um and this is trying to 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 bring those into the into the regulatory net as well i guess um but that was very significant so so from then on really the the fatf has recommended which as we know is is more than a recommendation uh, carries consequences for for countries too to bring out regimes um so so they clarify that in 18 in in october 18 and then they released a, a big guidance document in 19 in june 19 
um, which really summarizes a lot of these things. So it, it's it properly defined the virtual asset and VASP. Um, it gave lots of different guidance on on jurisdictions and, and what they needed to do. You need to do a, a risk assessment. You need to to bring in the or you need to bring virtual asset service providers uh, into scope of of the AML CFT regime in those in those jurisdictions. Uh, and interestingly, as well, it it made a requirement for VASPs to to comply with what's called or what the industry calls the travel rule. And the travel rule basically is is a requirement for VASPs when there's a transfer of of assets between one VASP and another VASP, they need to share certain uh, information on the originator and beneficiary of those transactions. Um, that was met with a lot of controversy at the time. Um, because there was no real technical solution to to comply with this, uh, so effectively, what they've asked is for for there to be like a swift uh, network, but for crypto, which did not exist at the time, um, and that was met with some uh, some pushback from the industry. But it's it was included in the guidance, so it's something that the industry really has had to uh, had to take on and and work to towards a, a viable solution. Um, so so that was interesting and and. This is where we at least thought that this has really brought crypto into the global financial system now. Um, globally, jurisdictions are having to bring in these regimes. They're having to regulate virtual asset service providers for, for at least anti-money laundering and terrorist financing, which is really helping to, to legitimize this new industry because... A lot of the concerns, especially by the institutional players earlier, were that there were no standards, there was no regulation. Um, it was very difficult for virtual asset service providers and or crypto asset service providers or whatever we decide to call them um, to obtain banking um, relationships, for example. Uh, and and this like, we, we, we see as a very positive development. Um, it's something that a lot of jurisdictions are having to to work hard to to implement, especially because there's a lack of 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 technical knowledge and understanding of of the crypto space. Um, but overall, I think it's a very very interesting development and a very positive development. Great. I mean, that 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 sounds very very interesting. But at the same time, I believe for for some people who listen for the first time to this information, very complex also. Um, I mean, I want to highlight that that all of this we are talking about right now, the FATF has published on its website, so it's free, free access. You can read it. Um, most of the documents are very, very long, uh, but they're very good for those of you who do not have time to read all the documents. Just continue listening to our podcast. Um, I would like to touch on two things, uh, Nathan, before we look a little bit outside of the FATF recommendations, but on two things which have just recently been published by the FATF. One thing is the, the virtual assets red flag indicators of money laundering and terrorist financing, which just came out in September of this year. Uh, and this red flag report, it actually looks at those um, at those uh, crypto asset or virtual asset related business which which raise red flags such as uh, technological features that increase anonymity such as use of peer-to-peer -peer exchanges websites mixer or tumblr services uh, anonymity and enhanced cryptocurrencies 
they look at geographical risks such as um, countries with weak AML and CFD standards. Uh, they look at transaction patterns which are used for, uh, for, for criminals who use crypto assets. Um, they look at transaction size uh, and they also look at sender and recipient profiles which brings us to the travel rule also. But actually the, uh, all of that where they're looking at, uh, what I understand at least, is that normally when you look at anti-money laundering rules and anti-money laundering uh, requirements, it usually asks the, um, the obliged entities such as banks or other regulated entities to look at their own clients, to look what their clients are doing mainly when it comes to uh, onboarding their clients to, to run the KYC, but also monitoring the activities. And at some, at some scenarios, they also look at the source of the funds, uh, mainly at, at, at those uh, scenarios where we have enhanced uh, due diligence requirements. But as I understand the travel rule and also looking now at this red flags, it somehow reads to me and sounds to me that uh, virtual assets or crypto assets, they're, they're still used for, for, for criminal activities. And it is not sufficient just to look as a bank or as a, a virtual asset service provider at its own clients, but also to look at where the virtual assets are coming from and uh, what is the history of the virtual asset. Um, but this is this sounds to me somehow new. I mean, is it something which you also have in a fiat world? Do you need to know where the where the money is coming from? I mean, I can I can imagine that the the, the U.S. dollar is used much more for 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 criminal activities and frauds than Bitcoin. Uh, so so what what is it about this travel rule? I mean, you highlighted on it. You said okay, it's actually similar to Swift. It is like a uh, it, it goes to like a messaging service for on 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 crypto assets, virtual assets. But what is it really about that you say that you need to understand where your virtual asset is coming from and how do you manage to to do this? Yeah, I mean it's 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 not easy um to, to say the least i think the the industry has, has i think it's impressive how the industries work together to to look to a a solution to to the travel rule um, but i agree look it, it isn't easy it's this is something that was never done before um effectively the industry is having to to work together and there's there's various providers that are looking at solutions but uh, the industry as a whole is is coming together to 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 bring in something like a swift for crypto effectively um i don't quite agree with 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 saying that this is a, a different approach um or that you actually the, the travel rule itself is bringing in a requirement to understand um where all your crypto is coming from i think the if you look at the fat of standards and what's happening with crypto they've effectively said that you need to bring in a, a regime for anti-money laundering terrorist financing but similar to 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 the current existing regime so i mean even though crypto is a is quite a technical and and complex area at times the actual anti-money laundering uh, standards and the regimes that are being brought in place um are similar to, to to other regimes that other financial services uh, businesses need to comply with. And in most cases, all these jurisdictions are doing is, is scoping in virtual asset service providers into their legislation. So, I mean, and we're quite familiar with the, the Gibraltar approach, the, the UK approach as well. So they, they brought in um, crypto assets 
um, providers into into their money laundering regulations. Um, and what they're saying is you need to provide you need to apply a similar approach. So, and the approach is actually a risk based approach. So you need to understand, you need to assess the risks. Um, of of the business and 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 as well of your individual uh, customers, um, and you need to take a risk based approach in terms of the due diligence that you need to perform on these customers, um, where you identify a higher risk customers. The the obligation is to do enhanced due diligence and to obtain more information on that customer, understand the source of funds, the source of wealth. Um, so the, the rules are the same, but the implementation and the, the execution of these rules obviously need to be different depending on the industry. Um, and here's where it can be a bit complicated if you want to understand the source of, of wealth and of funds um, and you're receiving deposits in Bitcoin, uh, you need to understand where that Bitcoin comes from. Um, so that's one thing that needs to be, uh, that needs to be done. Um, this is similar to, to all other AML CFT um, approaches. What has also been brought in, which which for me is kind of different to the the source of wealth and source of funds, which is an obligation that you need to uh, you need to comply with um, under the the current existing frameworks. Um, the travel rules is is a bit of a different a different animal, but it's also quite similar um, to the traditional um, banking world. Um, so what the travel rule does is it's it's not actually focused on the source of funds, source of wealth. Um, but it's really looking at the cross-border nature of this industry. Um, cross-border transactions is always something that is highlighted usually as, as higher risk from a money laundering terrorist financing perspective. Um, if you think of, of Bitcoin, you can transfer uh, Bitcoin from one side of the world to the other. Um, you've got to wait for, for some co transaction confirmations, which may take a, a while, but... Um, Within a short period of time, you can send wealth from from one side of the world to another. Um, it is very cross-border in nature, and, and and to address this risk, what the FATF decided to do was scope in or to bring in this travel rule requirements. Um, and what the travel rule does is that it it, it makes any VASP to VASP transfers um, require the sharing of certain information. Um, so, for example, if myself, uh, Nathan Catania. Um, at has a, an account at Coinbase, uh, and I'm sending funds to to your account, uh, Ali Reza at Kraken. Um, Coinbase will need to tell Kraken. Um, by the way, I'm sending some Bitcoin that belongs to Nathan um, to 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 you, um, and you need to share certain information. So Kraken will need to share information with Coinbase, and Coinbase will need to share information with Kraken. Um, so you need to be able to 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 share this beneficiary and recipient um, data. Um, it only applies to vast to vast transfers. So if you are a if you if if I decide to send uh, funds or to top up my my Coinbase account from my own personal um, wallet, my self-hosted um, non-custodial wallet, um, that is not in scope of the the travel rule. Um, but they still need to understand where that crypto comes from, which is why the, I think there's a distinction between the travel rule and source of funds and wealth. Um, the travel rule is more focused on the, on the exchange of this information between um, originator and beneficiaries. Um, but it is something that's been a, it's been a huge challenge for the the industry to 
to to comply with because there was no technical technological solution um it's different to to the banking world where, where the banking world when you're exchanging value in the banking world the the value and the data uh, can travel at the same time um through through this 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 swift network um with crypto it's different with crypto the the value is is traveling on the blockchain um and these vasps these virtual asset service providers need to find a way of communicating the required data independently of this transfer of this travel of of value um and that's where it's been a, a very a huge challenge for 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 the industry um we were actually quite involved in 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 the development of a of a standard um so so Sean and and Neil who's our, our CTO from our team um they were part of a joint working group which brought together uh, i think it was over 100 industry experts uh, to develop a intervast messaging standards um which was later called the the IVMS 101 standard um and what this standard sought to to achieve was to because different vasps around the world were going to have to share this required data this uh, originator beneficiary data um having the data in a standardized format is extremely important for interoperability um so what this group did this 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 standard um it, it basically standardized the, the data that would have to be shared to comply with the travel rule so the standard didn't come up with a technological solution um, but what it said was that before actually working towards a technological solution we need to make sure our data is easily shareable and the only way you can do that is having standardized data so for example the what sort of date do you use do you use the the american format or do you use the uh, the, the the uk format um in terms of names do you have a first name middle name last name or i don't know first last name and then first name what, what order do you do you use for these for 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 your data um so that was quite a, a big step in the right direction we feel um the standards actually been adopted or or at least the a lot of the travel rule technological solution providers that are now working on these solutions um have signaled that they're going to be requesting that the data is IVMS 101 compliant and now the industry is at a stage where the these solution providers are now uh, hopefully in the next few months going to be finalizing their solutions so that vasps can plug into these uh, these solution providers and actually comply with the with the travel rule um so it, so as i said look it's been it's been a challenge for the industry um but it's been interesting to see how everyone has really come together and work together to 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 meet this challenge and to come up with a solution that works. Yeah, that that sounds very very interesting and especially also the last part you explained on a, a common standard they're working on and also on the timeline. I mean the example you gave uh, the two US crypto exchanges uh, Coinbase and Kraken as you said maybe they use the same US standard so for them it's uh, it will be easier in, in in sense of interoperability to work together and share information but as you said uh, um, correctly that it only applies to vasps um, looking at the a more complex scenario where we have a traditional bank which um, goes to provide uh, virtual asset services such as uh, custody services i mean we have it now in germany 
where we have the um, crypto asset custody service as a regulated business and uh, many German banks, they, they, they jump on this and they, they're going to offer such services to their clients. So we have now the, we, we have a cross from the traditional banking service to the virtual asset uh, services. So from a, from a technological perspective, usually you have the core banking Uh, infrastructure and uh, you, you try to maybe implement those uh, information you need from the custody service in your traditional uh, banking core system. Uh, but now we have this travel rule. So looking at the scenario where we have a German bank, which does the uh, crypto, crypto custody service, provides a crypto custody service to its German clients. And this German client has a Uh, exchange let that in the Netherlands or let's say in, a, in, in East Europe and gets its crypto assets transferred to its wallet which is uh, um, hosted by the by its German bank is, is that a scenario I would say there the travel rule becomes tricky because mainly looking at saying okay maybe the the East European uh, uh, jurisdiction uh, does did not uh, fully implement the the new standard or doesn't even have the standard and on the other side the the, the german side they 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 are they're aiming to to implement the standard but they cannot do it because their core banking system does not allow it they cannot have an let's say an api to 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 the yeah to let's say ether scan or some other uh, technological system where you can trace the the crypto assets yeah that's exactly one of the main issues that we are experiencing right now in the industry i think so the and and maybe going back to, to the fatf they released uh, quite an interesting report which is was a 12-month review um on the implementation of the revised uh, recommendations so what the fatf said was when they issued their june um, 19 guidance was that they were going to do a follow-up report in june 20 um to examine not only how countries had been um implementing the the revised uh, standards recommendations um but also to to look at the implementation of the travel rule um and one of the key issues that's been identified and, and that's still there to an extent is is called the sunrise issue where you can have some jurisdictions that maybe have legislated for the travel rule um and have a regulatory regime in place then you might have a provider in another jurisdiction that doesn't um you have certain jurisdictions that seem to be gold plating or, or adopting uh, or interpreting the the travel rule differently so you are going to have jurisdictional differences and and even regulatory arbitrage in some circumstances um for sure that's something that's that's happening right now um the fatf are doing a follow-up review uh, in june next year as well um But in my opinion, it's something that's temporary. I think it's it's just a case of jurisdictions, some slower than others, um, adopting these these standards and, and legislating for the travel rule. Um, in the meantime, the solution providers are working hard to to provide technological solutions that actually work. Um, most of the solution providers as well um, are working towards interoperability so to be able to communicate with each other which which again is a great thing because um it's extremely unlikely at least in our view that one solution provider is is going to take over the entire of the of the crypto market so communication between these providers is 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 very important um but i do agree with you i think that there's right now it's it's challenging there's very solution very few solution providers actually um fully operational yet even though i think some are getting there um and and having this example having a, a bank 
which is also engaged in in crypto type activities um right now i i doubt there's any <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong or, or it would be good to see if there if there are but there's i don't think there's any core banking systems that are travel rule compliant right now yeah i think this will be very interesting in the next uh, months maybe years to see how um, the, the the core banking system is going to change. I think it's also very interesting for those who provide such services to be quickly and uh, to provide uh, uh, solutions in that respect because I think it's just a matter of time until the the, the capital market uh, in general will will jump on on uh, on crypto and uh, uh, first exchanges already started to to prepare their crypto related services and it's just a matter of time until they do it fully and then, uh, um, by that time, I think that the, the latest FATF, FATF recommendations also in respect of the travel rule will be uh, maybe implemented in the anti-money laundry directive or regulation six. Um, so, so looking at, at what can happen, what is happening right now outside of the FATF world, uh, we have, I think, five more minutes, Nathan, and to, to just briefly look at what is happening right now. And for those of you who, who do not really understand how the FATF recommendations go into maybe proper regulation, other regulation, just look at the FATF 2014 and the later recommendations, which went actually into the anti-money laundering directive five, which is now implemented by most of the uh, EU member states. Uh, and look at the ESMA and EBA report of January 2019, mainly the EBA report, which uh, uh, focused also on the FATF recommendations and then gave its advice to the EU Commission on how to implement, uh, how to do the AMLD5. Uh, so uh, now looking at the current uh, market, the EU Commission's approach to the so-called digital package and one of the, uh, one of the uh, digital packets uh, um, suggestions, regulation suggestions is the so-called market in crypto assets regulation, um, which is hopefully going to be finalized by 2022 and then um, with an 18-month implementation period going be, to be fully implemented by 2024. So uh, looking at that, uh, Nathan, uh, uh, I mean, we are both uh, XREC and also myself, we are involved in the Mika task force. So we we, we actually know what, what is going on right now. Uh, what would you say? What, what is the impact of the FATF on, on Mika? Is Mika something totally different? Is it, is it related to, to the FATF? Or what is it about? Okay, so I'd say it's related, not directly related. Um, but I would say it's, it's an interesting way of, of aligning um, EU regulation with the with the FATF uh, standards so I mean just to maybe step back a couple of steps and, and to touch again on, on the AMLDs um, that you mentioned so as we said earlier the, the FATF will set these global standards um, and then jurisdictions will need to to implement the standards and the way it works in in Europe at least is that it's implemented through the anti-money laundering directives um, so AMLD 5 um, did bring in certain crypto activities, may, maybe not the full FATF uh, list into scope, but it did bring some. It brought in uh, crypto to fiat exchange, custodian wallet providers as well. Um, so, so what happens is that then the the member states need to to implement these these regulations. Uh, as you said, most of them have. And um, by now, 
uh, but there was still a gap between AMLD5 and the virtual assets and virtual asset service provider um, FATF regime, um, which is a gap that needs to be closed if you want to be FATF compliant. Um, going forward again now to, to what's happening in Europe, which is extremely interesting. Um, the, the commission, what, what they did was initially they consulted on a, on a regulatory framework for crypto assets, uh, which took place uh, towards the end of last year, early this year. Um, the consultation though, and this is why I mentioned it's, it's, it's linked, but it's not quite the same, is that this uh, consultation um, was to really uh, consult on a, a regulatory framework for crypto assets. Um, and it wasn't fully focused on anti-money laundering. It's this framework that was consulted on and now looks to be to be coming in, in the shape of Mika. Um, not only covers AML, it also covers the more traditional um, financial services regulation outside of AML as well. So it looks at things like uh, prudential requirements, market abuse, uh, conduct requirements, um, so, so Mika, which is the Marcus and Crypto Asset um, Regulation, is bringing in um, a wide, wide, and quite comprehensive regime. Um, so, what Mika is doing is it's it's bringing in this category of regulated uh, business, um, which would be called a, a crypto asset service provider, which is again quite similar in name to to the virtual asset service provider that the the FATF. Um, has brought under under their scope, and the crypto asset service provider definition is very much aligned to the FASF definition. It's 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 very wide ranging. Um, it covers the, the custody and administration of crypto assets, operating a trading platform, um, exchange between crypto fiat and also crypto to crypto, um, the 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 issuance. It even covers advice. So it's a very very wide ranging. Um, scope. So it brings in, again, a lot of the previously unregulated crypto um, intermediaries and providers into scope of this regulatory regime. Um, Mika, though, is not, doesn't really cover anti-money laundering and terrorist financing. So even with Mika fully implemented, there'll still be a gap between the money laundering regulations in Europe and the FATF standards. But what Mika has done is bring in this wide scope. It's bringing in all of these entities under regulation. So it will be extremely easy to just extend the anti-money laundering regime in Europe to capture crypto asset service providers as well. Um, and that's why in, in a sense, it's, it's a very different regime. But because the scope is so similar to the FATF scope, it, it makes it a lot easier to further legislate for anti-money laundering and terrorist financing to, to capture these activities as well. Thank you. I mean, Nathan, is, that, that sounds very interesting also with, in respect to what is, what is coming. Uh, I mean, uh, looking at the time, we, we unfortunately do not have much more time to talk about it, but maybe on, a, on the last word before we, uh, we say goodbye, um, I believe that um, the, the regulation which is now coming, it is complex on a, on a first view. But I think it is good for, for, for building up a crypto market, a professional crypto market and giving for both sides, for those who, who are the service providers, but also for the clients 
the the necessary regulation to to run a, a proper a proper system and uh, as you also highlighted some uh, in some points that it is a risk based approach not just for the for the AML CFT but also uh, as I understand it for the for the Mika regulation it's it's not uh, regulating everything what comes but regulating those parts which are necessary. Um, do you, would you agree to that? Would you say this regulation which is now coming is, is, is good for the crypto economy or is it something which you would say it's, it destroys the crypto economy? I, I think I tend to, to agree with you. Um, I know a lot of the crypto fundamentalists, um, the, the early adopters, I, I mean, if you think about what Bitcoin was was created for, it was to avoid um, regulation, is to disintermediate um, but in reality, what, what is happening with the industry is that there are a lot of of, of players, um, there are a lot of third party providers that that are providing services on a very much centralized basis, um, and these were players that were previously completely unregulated. Um, there were no standards, and the the purpose of regulation anyway is is to protect consumers. And um, by bringing in a framework which which seeks to achieve this. Um, and seeks to protect consumers that want to interact um, with the crypto asset uh, world, um, in my view, can only be seen as, as a good thing. Um, regulation is, is, it needs to be proportionate. Um, it needs to be done properly to, to not stifle innovation. Um, so, so I think definitely with, with Mika, it is very comprehensive. I think there are some elements which, which could be better, but I think the, the, the objectives of the regime and what it's looking to to implement is can only be seen as something positive for the the entire industry and i think it's going to help consumers become a lot more comfortable with using uh, crypto assets uh, type uh, products and and services um, it's going to give regulatory certainty to to the operators in in this space um, and it's also going to allow institutions to be a lot more comfortable um, with either moving into the space or, or even investing in in crypto assets uh, so personally, I think it's it's a it's a great development, and I think Mika itself is is going to be used as inspiration for other regulatory developments globally. Um, as we as we ought, we have been discussing today, most of the developments have been in anti money laundering terrorist financing. Uh, Mika takes it a step a step uh, forwards from from that, and, and a, a great leap, in fact, potentially um, further in a lot of different areas such as market abuse, um, custody standards. Um, and and it, for me, it can only be seen as a positive development overall. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, it was very nice talking to you with you as an expert in this field, uh, with your, your consulting firm as an expert in this area. You gave us uh, pretty much insight in what is going on uh, from, from many perspectives. And uh, it was nice talking to you. Uh, I hope we can continue this in the future. And uh, to everyone listening, goodbye and uh, hear you soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.